0: Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. That is Jeremiah 1516, and this is the Living the Word Bible Podcast. I'm Sarah Chris Meyer, talking with women about the Bible and the difference it makes in our lives. Today I'm talking with Deborah Holliday. You know, Deb, I think the first time that I really spent some time with you was way back in 2013, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> when um, I remember going out to Denver. You were teaching at the, at the Denver Catholic Biblical School. Maybe you were the interim director at that point. And you helped Thomas Smith and me brainstorm a Bible study on the prophets that we did for the, for the Great Adventure.
1: I remember it. It's hard to believe that was 10 years ago.
0: I know. Well, that was a great project. And who knew that someday I would be asking you to write introductions for all of the prophets for a Catholic women's Bible? Uh, Not me, that is for sure.
1: (laughs) But I'm super happy um, to have done it. Um, I was so honored to be involved in that project. It's such a great project.
0: Well, you were one of the first people I thought of, and uh, it was a massive undertaking for which I am very grateful to you. So thank you for being part of that.
1: I appreciate you, too.
0: So, and thank you so much for joining me today. You know, Deb, I know that teaching scripture is a real passion for you. And what do you like most about it?
1: Oh, that's hard to say. Um, I think probably the thing I like most about it is seeing the look on my students' faces when they start to connect the dots, especially in teaching like the prophets or the Old Testament, because you know most people have read the gospels or at least if they go to mass they've heard the gospels so that's somewhat familiar but when they start to kind of make those connections that's when and then you see you can see it in their eyes the light bulb goes off and you're like okay that makes a difference that i feel like god has used me to as a tool to bring understanding to somebody and that's that's a great feeling
0: yeah, to bring those what they call aha moments exactly <laughs> the connection, especially between Old and New Testament.
1: Right, and it was funny because the biblical school is a four year program, so we do the prophets in the third year after you kind of do um, a basic overhaul of you know Old and New Testament in the first mm-hmm. third year. So everybody would say, oh, my gosh, I've heard the third year is just a nightmare. It's history. It's the prophets. And it's so hard to remember all this stuff. And by the end of the year, 95% of my students will go, that was the best year because of the aha moments Hmm. that they have. It's connecting those dots like um, pearls on a necklace.
0: Yeah, so connecting dots, not just Old Testament to New Testament, but also to the way we practice our faith, to our own spiritual lives, and so on.
1: Yeah, when you think about Isaiah, you know, holy, 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 and people go, hey, wait a minute, I hear that at Mass every week. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So those are the kind of things that you just love to hear.
0: So when did, uh, how did you first get interested in the Bible? That's interesting, because it wasn't
1: a plan. I had children (laughs) and I started taking my children to church, you know, when they were babies, of course. And I'm listening and I'm thinking, okay, I really don't know a whole lot about this. But then when they started to go to like CCD, they started knowing things. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I have no idea what's going on here. I was a typical Catholic that went to church, was faithful, prayed, stuff like that, but didn't have any clue Hmm. What my faith was really about. So I decided to um, start taking classes. So, some catechetical classes, some biblical classes, but that led me ultimately to the biblical school, mm-hmm. which I found out about. And then I ended up spending four years in the biblical school. And during that time, it was like the road to Emmaus. Like, I just, it, my heart was burning. Like, I just found my passion and it, mm. you know this is in my 30s you know i think you know you look at some kids today and they're like oh, i don't have my passion i don't figure it out and i'm always like oh don't worry about it it may come later on because it did for me and i found out that that passion is scripture
0: so can you give an example i mean what is there something you remember that really struck you or that resonated with your life with what you were going through
1: yeah it's funny you should say that because it and this might seem a little bit strange but i remember the priest giving a homily at my parish. And he had tied in, um, he was a younger priest. So he had tied in at the time, I think The Matrix was was a big movie. And he was tied in that and he tied in a little Star Trek and he tied in all of these things with scripture Hmm. that were like interesting to me. And I started to see like just how scripture pervades everything. You know, then you start reading literature and you see little things like um, allusions that, oh, if you don't know scripture, you might miss that. I remember sitting on the beach and reading that um, The Alchemist by Paulo Cello. So the story is that an angel comes to give this father who has two sons some um, kind of a a foreshadowing of what his two sons will do. And his one is a poet and the other one is a soldier. And he says, your son's words will go down in history. And, of course, the father thinks it's the poet. But he actually says, no, it's your other son who's the centurion. And Hmm. the words are, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and your servant shall be healed."
0: And little did he know at the time that we'd be saying that every time we go to Mass.
1: Right. And it's in that book, and I remember just on the beach, on vacation, watching my kids in swimming in the water and just bawling, you know, (laughs) just because, you know, it was so beautiful, you know, just how everything just connects back to scripture. It is really, everything connects back.
0: So uh, we could spend a lot of time talking about, you know, how scripture is reflected in, in the arts in movies, you know, all of that. And even as you study scripture more and more and you start seeing the little connections inside of it, it can easily become just a real intellectual exercise. And we can get a lot of um, sort of good feeling about kind of conquering that and, and knowing more and more. But is there a time in your life when it switched from that attraction and that realization that it's all pervasive, that, that you're not the only person in the world or Catholics aren't the only people in the world who think that – scripture has something to say to where you started hearing it actually speak to you?
1: Yes. You know, studying scripture, like you said, it does. Uh, the temptation is to keep it all up in your head and yes, it's at your heart and you love it. And there's a passion, but how does it really resonate with you? You know, when everything's good, um, you can look and say, wow, you know, scripture's great. I love God loves me. Everything's great. But when something happens, like what happened to me about, you know, four or five years ago, God decided to prune me. Hmm. And um, you know, between I think the five top stressors are in, in life are divorce, moving, uh, major illness or injury. Uh, job loss, and the death of a loved one. Divorce, moved, was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, uh, COVID, lost jo- lost my job. And then I ended up taking care of my dad, who has Alzheimer's, which isn't quite the death of a loved one, but, wow, but in, the, in a sense it it is because he's no longer. But four out of five, and then I had to really think, wow, now what does God think of me? What is What's my relationship with him? What's my relationship with the word now? It gave me the opportunity to figure out if I actually was a fair weather friend Hmm. or did I actually, was this just a passion because it was an intellectual stimulation and, you know, a little bit of pride seeing what I've done, you know, or how I teach you can get so wrapped up in doing things for God Hmm. that you're not being with him so much. Hmm. So I think that, um, it was a journey and not easy, but the beautiful thing about God and about scripture and about Jesus, because Jesus is the word is he's the hound of heaven and he just doesn't let you go. And he, kept coming back after me and saying, you know what? I love you. Did you happen to read Jeremiah? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he right into through it. a lot of stuff, too. You know, a lot, most of the prophets do. There's very few of the prophets that don't go through some kind of, like, you know, undergoing tragedy, persecution, things like that. So,
0: Well, and that's a great point to make because sometimes we think that You know, people in the Bible have it all together. At least we think that if we don't read it very closely. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But go to Jeremiah. I mean, here's somebody who has suffered pretty much anything that you could suffer. And you can go in there and read about it and read how he learned from God to deal with it.
1: And it begins that way because Jeremiah is set apart from the time that he's in the womb, which is a beautiful, that's another whole podcast you could do on the value value of life, you know, right from conception, because Jeremiah is called from the womb to Mm -hmm. be God's prophet. And he says to him in verse seven, all to whom I send you, you shall go and whatever I command you, you shall speak. But then he says in verse eight, be not afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you. Hmm. And there's a lot of times where Jeremiah questions that he's like, are you sure? It's like, you know, is laying at the bottom of a cistern, you know, in the mud. It's like, are you sure you're with me? You know, but he is.
0: Yeah. And it, so many of those things, I mean, maybe we're not laying in the bottom of a cistern, but I'm sure you felt at times like you were laying in the bottom of a pit of mud. I mean, I felt like that before. Absolutely. And those are times when I want to say, God, are you really there?
1: Oh, and
0: sure. do I continue in my ministry? You know, all these big questions. So I wonder though, um, Deb, since you know so much about Jeremiah, (laughs) I wonder if you could give like just a little sketch of the historical background without going into a lot of details, but I think that it really helps to understand Jeremiah if we know where he's coming from.
1: Well, as I said, he's called to be a prophet and one of the the toughest message that he has to give to the people is that they have forsaken God. They've turned their back on God. They are, there's a lot of, um, idolatry going on. There's this kind of sense of religious ritualism where they do their sacrifices. They do, but their heart's not in it, you know, and Jeremiah has the very tough job of saying, you know what, you've turned your back on me. And as a matter of fact, he says in, which I love this line, he says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So in other words, they have rejected God, who's the source of their life. And they've put all of their Uh, worship into their own hands, their idols, whether they make them of stone or wood or whatever. So Jeremiah has to come back and say, you know what? You have not turned yourself around and therefore there are going to be consequences. You're going to go into
0: exile. And this is at a point in their history where they've already, uh, these are the people of Jerusalem, pretty much of Judea. They've already seen the Northern Kingdom go into exile. Exactly. Exactly. They've already seen many good things that God has done, you know. So they they sh- should know better.
1: Oh yeah, and and it's amazing because that's that's why God gets upset. He's like, hey, listen, you saw what happened to your sister Israel, yeah, you know, in the in the north. Yet you're worse than they are. So there are consequences for this. But the one thing that's beautiful about Jeremiah is two two things that. That I think are really important. One is that he, you can really feel God's feelings through Jeremiah, just his life. Can you give
0: an example of that?
1: He's called the weeping prophet. You know, he's he does whatever he can do to intercede on behalf of his people. He's constantly calling them to to conversion, and they constantly push him away. They don't want to hear anything he has to say. As you read, you could just hear his. His sadness, real Hmm. sadness in the rejection of not just him, but of God, you know, because God has always been there and God is, keeps calling them back ad nauseum. He just keeps calling. And that's one of the other things you hear this so many times, especially about the Old Testament, Old Testament, bad God, right? Mean, not true. If you read Jeremiah, just count how many times he says, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. Finally, God has to do something to wake these people up. And Jeremiah is the bearer of the news. They're going to go into exile. And so the first, pretty much the first half of the book is him talking about going into exile. But there is in chapters 30 through 33, there is um, what they call the book of comfort, Mm -hmm. where Jeremiah also preaches the words of uh, consolation that, yes, you're going to go into exile and yes, this is going to be difficult, but this is also that you will come back to me and I will make a new covenant with you. And it won't be a covenant that's written on tablets of stone, but it'll be written on the hearts of all the people. Mm-hmm. So that's a beautiful thing to think about, too.
0: And it's beautiful words to Israel and words that obviously we can recognize as referring forward in time to the coming of Christ and the new covenant, but it can also speak to us personally. Right. So I'm just thinking of what you if you don't mind me bringing this back no, to you yeah, for no. a second, uh, you said that you know a few years ago you had those four or five major stresses all at once. Mm-hmm. Well, in a way, that's kind of like going into exile because exile for Israel was, in fact, it was more than just losing their country. It was losing everything God had given them right. and losing all that they had achieved and attained and so on. And suddenly, they didn't have that anymore. So. Right. No
1: temple, no land, no king, you know, whatever made Israel, Israel was no longer there. So are they still a people of God?
0: Yeah. So does it, how does it help when you're in that position? How does it help to read Jeremiah?
1: If you do read, which I highly suggest you do, especially when you're um, in these moments of darkness, it helps to see that God does give his toughest battles to some of his strongest soldiers, you know? <laughs> and I feel like um, sometimes you don't know that. You don't know how strong you can be until everything is taken from you. You know, you're you're pruned like a little bit, not as bad as Job, but you've done some serious pruning, you know, and, um, You can look at Jeremiah and see yourself in that and see how he prevails and how God is always with him, even when he doesn't feel like it, that God is there, God is always with Mm -hmm. him. But also, we can look at Jeremiah as a foreshadowing of Christ and what Christ does for us. You know, he is, um, when you think about the words that Jeremiah says, you know, in his temple speech in chapter seven. It's like, you know, you can't just say, this is the temple, this is the temple of the Lord, this is the temple of the Lord, and expect everything to be okay.
0: You have to have that conversion of heart, you know? So bring that to today. (laughs) You know, you can't just say... You can. You can do anything you
1: want to do, but it won't always bear fruit.
0: So what's a parallel to them saying, this is the temple of the Lord for us today? I think it's
1: going through the motions like, you know, you go, okay, I I went, checked off my list up, went to mass this week, checked off my list, went to confession once a year, check off my list, you know, whatever it happens to do. But um, if you don't have that conversion of heart, which comes with knowing God and how do you get to know God through his word, through his son and through the scriptures? Right? That's how you get, and that's where you build that relationship. So, yes, all of the rituals are important. I don't want to diminish that, but it's not just the rituals, which is what Israel was being accused of. Is just here they're, they're going through this, the motions of proper worship, but they're also worshiping idols. They're also doing a bunch of other things that they shouldn't be doing. You know, staying focused on Christ on the word, while it doesn't sometimes feel any better, you know, doesn't take away the pain of suffering. But what feels good is to know that somebody like Jesus is right along with you by your side. You know, kind of like when you think about the fourth person in the fiery furnace in Daniel, you know, the three... Boys in the fiery furnace, and then they look in, and there's like another one that looks like a son of God standing hmm. with them. I think the prophets have a lot to say about God being with you in the midst of suffering and persevering, because it is hard. You know, and everybody's gone through something. Everyone. I'm no different. I mean, think about Mother Teresa, you know, and her uh, darkness that she spoke about, and she's a saint. Yeah. So... Why should
0: I feel any different? (laughs) Well, I think about the way, too, that God uses these bad experiences for good. And there's another person in the Old Testament, Joseph, Joseph of the many colored dream coat, (laughs) Mm -hmm. whatever, if you've seen the movie, Joseph, who went down to, who was sold into Egyptian slavery by his brothers and who years later said to them, in fact, we've been reading that this week at, at Mass, you know, you meant that for evil for me, but God meant it for good so that I could, you know, he could bring about the salvation of many people. And so often it's true that we don't see the whole story. And yes, God allows certain things to happen, but he will bring good out of them in his plan. And that's so reassuring to me to have the story of these people so that we can know that.
1: Well, and that's what happens with Israel, too. I mean, He does bring them into exile but ultimately it is so that he can save them because they need to be brought to that point so that they realize there's nothing they can do to save themselves. It's God who reaches down and saves them. And he does that in, in Jeremiah, you see that um, he's going to send a righteous branch, a King, mm-hmm. son of David. He's going to make a new covenant that's mitten, written on the, the hearts of the people and um, promises consolation. When you put all of that stuff together, you can have one of those aha moments just reading Jeremiah.
0: <laughs> well, talk about that. There's that verse in Jeremiah that so many people know and memorize and call on and have on their coffee mugs and whatever. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean, yeah, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. <laughs> I know the
1: plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope.
0: Yeah. And so taken out of context, that seems to say that God just has, our future is going to be rosy. He has wonderful plans for us. And ultimately, it does mean that he has good plans for us. But tell a little bit about the context of that and the kind of deeper, richer, even more wonderful meaning that that passage has for us and for Israel, of
1: course. Going back to this idea of them going into exile in the very beginning, and this is repeated throughout Jeremiah, but in the very beginning, Jeremiah's mission is, um, is he's told in verse nine, the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I've set you over this day, over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and break down. To destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And I think that connects directly to that idea of plans for good, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That sometimes what God needs to do is break down those bad things that are going on in our life. And while we it may be difficult to go through them, ultimately, if we really truly believe in eternal life. Yeah, there's gonna be some suffering. Everybody's gonna be suffering in this life, but ultimately what we're looking for and what we're hoping for is not an easy life um, necessarily, but to get to heaven.
0: And when Jeremiah said that to the people, he's telling them, go into exile. Because I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil. And so they're looking at exile as the end of everything. And he's saying, wait a minute, it's part of my good plan.
1: (laughs) He tells them not to fight it. Jeremiah says, listen, this is what the repercussions of your actions are. So if you just listen to the Lord and go into exile, everything's going to be fine. You know, there's going to be consolation. Yes, there's going to be problems, but you're going to go in exile and God will eventually bring you back out and into the land. But they don't want to do that. So they're going to fight God even on that. So even if the kings will go to war and end up destroying Jerusalem when it maybe necessarily wasn't going to be destroyed because they were just supposed to go into exile and they didn't even want to do that either.
0: So the message for us, <laughs> we, we don't always know what's going to happen.
1: No, we don't. But uh, like you, you said with Joseph, you know, what the brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. And just as every great empire, God will use them to um, bring about good, even if they aren't. God can take evil and make good out of it. He doesn't create the evil, but he does allow certain things to happen so that he can create something better out of that.
0: So have you seen him do that?
1: Yes, he's in the process of doing that right now. (laughs) And I think it's uh, largely starting with you, too, because when you asked me to do the um, writing the intros, uh, I was in a pretty dark place. And that actually was a gift from God to keep me rooted in the scriptures Hmm. during that time, because my temptation was to just... You know, want to lay in bed and <laughs> forget about everything. But um, deadlines always work really well. <laughs> you know, having to read the scriptures and then finding that comfort in them and making it, and as um, we discussed early on, I'm a teacher. So it began with me teaching, and you're like, no, this is a devotional Bible. So it was interesting to see how I changed from writing more teaching things to applying that, not just to my own life, but to common issues in the entire world, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody's going through something. And I think that that's the beautiful thing that reading scripture can do is, is give you that sense of not being alone. I thank you for that because Staying rooted in the scripture has, has saved
0: my sanity, (laughs) you know? Well, I think that people will be able to read that when they see your introductions, you know?
1: I hope so. I, I, I do hope so because I think about this, um, when, and it's, it's interesting. It's in Jeremiah 22. Jeremiah feels like God has kind of pulled a number on him. Like he's, you know, you deceived me, Lord, says in, in chapter 20, verse seven. Oh, Lord, you have deceived me and I have decei- I've been deceived. You're stronger than I and you have prevailed. I have become the laughingstock all day. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction for the word of the Lord has become to me a reproach and a diversion all day long. But this is what I think is beautiful. And I try not to cry when I hear this, but he says, if I say I will not mention him, or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Hmm. And that's that burning love that Christ put in, I know, in my heart for scripture. And I think that when you pray and you read scripture and you open yourself to that, God does speak to your heart in that way.
0: And then you want to share that. Well, when it's based on us coming to know his burning love for us, it can't right. help but pour out. Right. I wonder if, there, if you have a favorite scripture. It doesn't have to be in Jeremiah or one of the prophets, but something that's really meant a lot to you that you would want to share with everyone. You know, I've
1: thought about this since we were talking, and um, I think John 15 the whole discourse on the vine and the branches mm. because I do feel like, um, you know, pruning is necessary. And it's funny this time of year with the summer coming up and I've been planting plants and watching videos and I saw how they, um, I saw a little video on how to root a new vine. Mm. And what you do is you, uh, you kind of strip down the vine you wrap it up and then you put it in soil until it roots. So it's almost dead. <laughs> right? Wow! And then it starts to root and you have to clip back all of the, of the leaves, um, lots of pruning for it to bring about more fruit. If you just let the leaves grow wild, it doesn't bear as much fruit. Hmm. So I think about that when um, John says that Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He doesn't say, oh, you can do some things. He says, you can do nothing apart from me. Apart from God, we are dead vines." Mm-hmm. And so that has meant a lot to me because I feel like he has pruned me over the years. Has it borne fruit yet? I don't know. Maybe I will never know. But um, I hope so, especially with, you know, participating in this this Bible I hope that women read that and have that desire to read more and to understand more and to um, have a deeper relationship with Jesus through the Word because he is the Word made flesh He is the culmination of all scripture right
0: yep but I expect that the fruit that sh- ends up showing in your life would be not only in your teaching but also just in your day-to-day, being with other people, and so sometimes at when that. God strips <laughs> us, yeah, God strips us down of these the things that it's it's like the clothing we wanted to wear or the the fruit we wanted to show to other right. people, and He's like, no, I got something else in mind. Right. But then that turns out to be much more rich and beautiful than anything we could have imagined.
1: And I want to I want to be clear on something though. I I am incredibly blessed. I'm incredibly blessed to have. Um, the family that I have, my kids are amazing kids, super loving. We have a great relationship. I have a great relationship with my mom and dad. I have wonderful friends. So a, a lot of blessing. I know it can, maybe I came off a little, a little bit negative, but um, I did go through a lot. But out of that came a lot of blessing and me being able to see that as blessing. And in the midst of all of it, still being able to be thankful
0: Mm-hmm.
1: which is hard sometimes
0: well and the the prophets show us how to do that as do right. the psalms and other parts of scripture so thank exactly. you for for sharing that and being vulnerable there and and letting people know because so many of us go through these deep things and right. god is there meeting us right
1: <laughs> right that's the if that's the one thing they take away you're you're not alone nobody's ever alone we've got Jesus walking by our side, and we've got sisters in Christ like you and me. <laughs>
0: You're not alone. I would like to pray with that first, first bit of John 15 with everyone. And I know we have done it before. We've done it on this podcast. It's a very well-loved passage of scripture, but it is so wonderful. It bears being repeated even daily if you want to. And I think that um, as, I, as I read it, Try to hear it in a fresh way as Jesus speaking personally to you, because the word has that ability to speak to us in a fresh way each time we hear it. And we ask, Come, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds to receive your word. And I'm going to read here from the beginning of John 15. Um, if you want to read along, I think I'm going to read verses one to five and then seven to nine. And you can read more of the chapter on your own if you would like to meditate on it. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that bears no fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. We pray, Heavenly Father, for the grace and the patience we need to abide in you, and we thank you for that reminder of how much you love us and how even that pruning comes out of love. Thank you for working in us in all times even those times when we feel kind of stripped back and bare and exposed like a grapevine in the off season. Thank you for preparing us for the new life that will bring in the kind of fruit that you want us to bear on your behalf. Give us the grace to love and live your word in our daily lives through our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Amen. Mary, mother of the word, Pray pray for us. Thank you, Deb. It's been wonderful talking with you today. Thank
1: you, Sarah. I really appreciate you.
0: Is there anything you'd like to add in closing?
1: I would like to thank you and um, everybody at Ave Maria for putting out such a wonderful Bible. It's beautiful. And um, I would just encourage every woman to uh, read through the prophets. Don't be afraid of them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They have a lot to speak to us
0: about. Yep, and if you'd like to take a crack at reading Jeremiah, maybe start out with Deb's introduction in the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible and follow the prompts she gives at the end. They will point you to some of the passages that demonstrate God's loving care, even in the hard times. This is Sarah Chris Meyer, and this has been the Living the Word Bible Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you will join me every Thursday for conversations with women who love and live God's Word. And don't forget that we have a new companion journal that you can use together with reading the Bible uh, to track your progress and also keep a record of the things that you notice, of your questions and aha moments like Deb was talking about earlier, places where it touches your life and your response to God. So both that and the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible are available all this year at a discount to the Living the Word community. Just go to AveMariaPress.com and use the promo code BIBLEPODCAST. And God bless you as you read His Word.